Thank you guys so much for being here with me today. Today's episode is all about what to expect from the recovery process. But before I get into that, I have a really big announcement to make. It's been about a year in the making and brace yourself. The announcement is that I am retiring from coaching. I'm still working with a handful of clients and I will continue working with them as long as they need. But I stopped taking on new clients at the beginning of this year. If this is the first time you're hearing this, it might come as a bit of a shock or a surprise. Perhaps you've even had a suspicion that maybe this was coming because you've noticed such a big shift in my presence online over the last eight or so months. This is not a decision that I've come to lightly whatsoever in any form. There have been sleepless nights, tears, therapy, soul searching, meditation, enormous amounts of stress and anxiety and doubt and fear, more tears, kind of an identity crisis, you name it. It's been a serious process of me getting to this place where I have made the decision that this is what I am doing. I'm going to get deeper into why and how I came to this decision in a couple of later episodes, but I also wanted to share it with you and give you a chance to ask any questions that you have about it so that when I record and release those episodes, I will have answered them. So if you do have any questions about this, go ahead and shoot me a DM or an email, and I'll make sure that I uh, include an answer to them in the upcoming later episodes. But I wanna share what you can expect in the coming weeks as I wrap up this chapter of my life and close the business. So. With first with my courses, my online courses, I have Food Body Soul the Academy, which is my signature program, and then I have Embodied Rebel Masterclass. Both of those will be available for the next two months only, two months from the release of this podcast. Then I am taking those down and they will no longer be available for enrollment. So you have a limited time left to enroll in them if you've been thinking about it and you've been curious. They are both absolutely amazing and incredible and effective. I have had years worth of women go through them. They've told me the difference that they've made. And I've also made adjustments to the courses over time based on my experience and what I've learned and what I've learned from the women who have gone through them. So I have a ton of confidence that if you enroll in them, they will absolutely make a difference for you in your relationship with food and your body. I stand by them fully. I love these two things that I have created. Now, Food, Body, Soul is all-inclusive. It covers how to heal your relationship with food, be it binge eating, emotional eating, yo-yo dieting, and, and how to become an intuitive eater. It goes into body image healing from the perspective of inner work, so looking at your past experiences, trauma, wounds, and pain, and it helps you address that head-on and heal that so you stop blaming your body and thinking that if you were just thinner or had a perfect body, everything would be fine. So for example, I've talked a lot about how I used to hate my cellulite, literally, like I was so tortured by it. I felt ashamed, I felt gross, I felt disgusting. I was always trying to figure out how to make it go away, whether it was buying products. I was always trying to exercise and eat and make it go away and I just hated it and thought that if I didn't have it, I would be fine. And then I did inner work and realized 
all of the different reasons why I didn't like myself and all these stories I was telling myself about why I wasn't enough and I addressed all of that. And then all of a sudden, I no longer had a problem with my cellulite. So that's the type of body image work that you will find inside Food, Body, Soul. It teaches you how to heal so you stop using food control and weight loss as a coping mechanism. And it teaches you how to build a better relationship with yourself. Self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth, self-trust. That's the soul portion. It's really about self. And then in Body Rebel Masterclass is the body image course that will literally blow your mind. That is the most common piece of feedback I get from women. I give um, in Body Rebel Masterclass to every single one-on-one client. And time and time again, they come back to me and they're just like, holy shit, mind blown. It teaches you all about the cultural and societal ways that you've been trained to hate your body and your humanness. So cellulite, stretch marks, round tummy, wrinkles, jiggly booty, all those things. It helps you unlearn your internalized fat phobia and stop making your body the problem. And it's just like opening up your mind. It's wild. It's awesome. I co-created it with Brandilyn Tebow, who's an incredible life coach and um, she recovered from an eating disorder as well. So they both complement one another in a very powerful way and they are both incredible on their own. And like I said, I'm really proud of these two programs. The information in both is, the information for both, if you want to enroll, is linked in the show notes. It's also on my website. You can also shoot me a DM and I'll send you the link. Again, you have two months from the release of this episode to enroll before they are no longer available for enrollment. So with my retirement, I am also taking them down. Also, what you can expect is I will be releasing several more podcasts over the coming weeks. We have some awesome interviews in store and some solo episodes as well. So stay tuned for that. Okay, that is enough for the announcements. Um, I have a lot more to say about moving on from this chapter of my life, but I will save it for those later episodes. But I just want to tell you how grateful I am and how much I've loved this work the last seven years and how grateful I am that you've listened to the podcast and that you're listening to it now. And my hope is that it has made a really positive difference for you in your life. Okay, again, I have more to say, but I'm going to save it for some later episodes. Let's get into today's, into today's topic, all about the recovery process and what to expect. I felt really inspired to record this episode before the podcast goes into retirement as well. Because it's something that has been a big topic with my current coaching clients, and it's something that I am realizing in a really big way in my own experience with food and body image healing and with eating disorder recovery. So you've likely heard it over and over again that recovery is not all sunshine and rainbows, that it often gets worse before it gets better. And how many times have you heard me say recovery is not a straight line, it's a motherfucking scribble? If you've been around here you know, for any length of time or listen to the podcast, there's a pretty good chance that you've heard me say that. And from personal experience and as a coach, I have found this to be true over and over again. Recovery is a process that takes time. Just like you didn't develop an eating disorder or an unhealthy relationship with food in your body in one day, rather it was like a variety of instances and decisions over time that got you here. You know, you didn't develop it with the flip of a switch. You are not going to recover and heal with the flip of a switch either. It's an unraveling, an unlearning, a relearning. It takes time, tenacity, perseverance, and it is absolutely a process with different phases. 
And today, I just want to talk about what those different phases can look like. I'm going to talk about how there's an overlap within the phases, how you don't stop all the unhealthy behaviors at once, even if you start adding in healthy behaviors. It's not an on-off switch. It's not like you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to decide I'm not going to have an eating disorder today. And then you just stop doing all of the eating disorder things. That's just not how it works. You maybe make the decision you want to work towards recovery in a moment, but the actual recovery and healing does not happen in a moment. It's not like dieting where you're like starting tomorrow for the next 30 days, I'm not going to eat all of these things and I'm going to be perfect. And then when the diet ends, you're knee deep in brownie batter. Recovery is not like the start of a new diet. You will start to add in healthy behaviors and it's very likely that a lot of the unhealthy ones are still going to be there in some way for some time. This has been the case for pretty much everyone I have worked with. There's an overlap in the healing while still being in the disorder. So do not expect perfection. Do not expect it to be black and white. It's not like that. I mean, maybe it's like that for some people, but I've never met those people. So just know going into it that you might be working towards recovery, whether that's with a coach or a therapist or a dietitian, or you're incorporating a wider variety of foods or you're exercising more, exercising less or whatever it looks like for you, right? And you're adding in all of these healthy healing behaviors, but the unhealthy ones are still there. There's an overlap. It's not a non-off switch. Now, eventually the goal is if you keep going, the unhealthy behaviors won't be there. But just know there's an overlap. It's totally okay. It's common. It's to be expected. It's not a non-off switch. Now, it's also very normal to have a mix of excitement and hope coupled with fear, doubt, and anxiety when you are considering recovery or when you are just taking your first steps. And honestly, throughout the whole process. What you can expect is to go through a period where you're very clear about your disorder being harmful and unhealthy, but you're not willing to let go of it. You might think that you can have your life and have the disorder. Maybe you think it's not that bad that you've been living with it for so long. So who's to say you can't just keep living with it? I've heard that from a lot of podcast guests, from clients, and it was true for me. There were times where I really liked my eating disorder. I looked forward to engaging in it. Even though it was totally unhealthy. It was also a life raft. It helped me through some really hard times. It was my coping mechanism. It helped keep me afloat when the waters were really rocky. All disordered relationships with food and your body are coping mechanisms. So even though they are very unhelpful and unhealthy in the long run, they are effective at helping you cope in the short term, which is why we turn to them. My sense is that if you are listening to this podcast, you are probably moving out of this phase. This podcast is about recovery. And so my sense is that you are already seriously considering recovery, if not already actively working towards it. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be listening to this podcast. So chances are, if you're listening to this, you're probably a little bit past this phase. Maybe you have one foot in it and one foot in the next phase, you know, that overlap I was talking about. If that is the case then you have likely gotten to the point or you're past the point where your eating disorder is so unmanageable with your life that you're like, all right, I got to get better. I haven't met or worked with anyone who doesn't hit their own personal rock bottom before they are truly willing to give recovery an earnest and honest shot. 
Sometimes people think they have hit rock bottom and they give recovery a shot, but then they end up going back to their eating disorder. Of course, this could be considered a relapse based on the situation, but it could also be that you are just straddling the line of wanting to recover, but also also wanting your eating disorder. It just depends on the circumstance and the details of the situation. It's also possible that what you thought was rock bottom wasn't rock bottom, that there's actually a, a lower level to get to. It's also very common to go through a sort of like purgatory phase where you have one foot in your disorder and one foot in recovery. A lot of people call this pseudo recovery. It's when you want to recover, but you haven't quite let go. You might either be fully aware of this, or if you're like, I was totally unaware that you were in a quote unquote pseudo recovered state. Now I am not criticizing this part of the process at all. And in hindsight, as they say, hindsight's 2020, I'm, I spent about a good four years in what could be called a pseudo-recovered state and was totally unaware that I was there. I thought I was fully recovered. And years later, again, hindsight's 2020, I can look back and be like, oh, that was like, that was definitely just a phase in my recovery process because I'm more recovered now than I was back then. But back then I thought I was totally recovered. So I was in what could be labeled a pseudo recovered state, but I didn't know it because it was, I'll get into it more. I didn't actually know it at the time. And I also, you know, think that it was just a a part, it was just a phase. It was a part of my recovery process. And I thought I was done, but I wasn't. There was still more work to do. And I can see that now based on where I'm at in my life right now. Now, pseudo recovery can be hard to identify because a lot of the behaviors people engage in during this phase, and maybe it's a couple of different phases, they're accepted and praised and normalized and celebrated in our culture. So this is things like fearing weight gain or eating in a way to try to control your weight, having restricted eating times like intermittent fasting, for example, or like I don't eat past 7 p.m. It could be only choosing the quote unquote healthy choices. So maybe it's gluten-free, vegan, whole food, non-GMO, etc. Now, I'm not saying that wanting to eat more of the nutrient-dense choices is automatically pseudo-recovery. It depends on the person and the intentions, but that could be a pseudo-recovered, not fully recovered, but past the start type of thing where you're like, I only want to eat, you know, the quote-unquote healthiest things, the clean eating. If you're still thinking about food a lot, if you're engaging in regular body checking, if you're feeling pressure to exercise, or if you have guilt and shame after eating certain foods, or you feel really good about yourself after eating other ones, or if you're counting calories, carbs, or macros. These are things that are very normalized within our culture, and our culture by default is diet culture. So maybe you're in a better place than you were. So you might not be restricting as much, or you might not be restricting the same amounts of foods or the same types of foods. Perhaps you're no longer binge eating or no longer purging, and so you think you're recovered. But if you're still engaging in any of those behaviors that I just listed, it's possible that you're in this quote-unquote pseudo-recovered state. But like I said earlier, and I really want you to hear me when I say this because I feel really strongly about it, I do not want to judge this phase as wrong or bad, but rather as a step in your process. 
So I often describe the recovery process as a pond, and on one side of the pond is your rock bottom and your eating disorder, and on the other side of the pond is full recovery and freedom. And in order to get across the pond from disordered to recovered, you have to cross it going one lily pad at a time. You cannot skip a lily pad. Each lily pad has its purpose and is necessary for you to pass through. And how long you have to stay on each lily pad varies from person to person. And you can't skip one or you can't just jump past one because if you do, you're going to fall in the metaphorical water and it's going to be that much harder to get back up on the lily pad and get back on track, so to speak. So for many people, this quote unquote pseudo recovery phase is just a lily pad that they're on. That it isn't necessarily pseudo recovery, but rather it's just one of the lily pads that they need to be on for a little while and catch their balance before they're ready to get on, you know, before they're ready to move on to the next one. And this is how it was for me. And, you know, maybe what you're gathering and maybe you're gathering this from what I'm saying is that I don't really like to call it pseudo recovery. Because I think there's this like woven in judgment or shame about it being bad or wrong when really it's just a lily pad. When really it's just that recovery is harder and longer than a lot of us think or expect. There are a lot more phases in lily pads than maybe we assume. And a big part of me thinks that we need the pseudo recovery state Because we cannot jump from disorder to recovery in one leap. We can't jump all the way across the pond. We have to go one lily pad at a time. We need the lily pads in between. And there might be a handful of lily pads in your unique recovery process that could easily be called pseudo recovery when in fact they're just necessary lily pads to pass through. They're necessary phases in your process. Like I said, it's not an on-off switch. There is almost always an overlap in behaviors. You're adding in new healthy healing behaviors while still some of the old unhealthy ones are there. So I think calling it pseudo recovery is kind of strange. I think it's all just the recovery process. And maybe you have made some progress, but there's still work to do. And people might call that pseudo recovery and that's fine. But in my experience, there just is always an overlap where You have some healthy behaviors, you're doing better in some areas, but there's still some sticky things like food rules or fear of weight gain or whatever. There's just an overlap, right? Like you might be eating consistent meals, but you still have food rules. So, okay, you're finally like no longer skipping breakfast and having a really small lunch. You're having an adequate breakfast and lunch and an adequate dinner, but you're really particular about what foods you're going to have in the morning, right? So, okay, you still have food rules, but you are, you're now eating adequately and consistently. Someone might call that pseudo recovery. Whereas I look, I look at that and I'm like, okay, got it. You just, you're making progress. You're moving, you know, the first lily pad was eating adequate meals. And the next lily pad is to incorporate, incorporate a wider variety and be less strict around what types of foods you'll have at mealtimes, right? It's just this process Or like maybe you are eating those adequate meals, but you still occasionally binge, right? There's an overlap before you move on to the next lily pad without those previous unhealthy behaviors. 
And now I want to give you a little bit more examples of what this can look like. I'm going to share with you my experience and then I want to share with you a couple of things that various clients have been working through in the different phases. And my hope is that you either feel validated, you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel comforted, or you're able to be like, ooh, okay, yeah, that actually sounds like what I'm going through, right? And my, my goal isn't to say, oh, stay in your pseudo-recovered state. That's not my goal. My goal isn't like, you're recovered enough. I My goal is for you to get across the pond. So I'm not trying to like say the pseudo-recovered state is is where you want to stay, but I, I just question if it's as much as a problem as like we sometimes make it instead of looking at it as like, it's part of the process. You're working your way across the pond, so to speak. Okay. So remember how I said earlier that we don't develop eating disorders or disordered eating all in one switch. It's not like one day we have an eating disorder and the day before we didn't. It's, it's typically this thing that starts out small and innocently Like we try to go on a diet or we're like, I'm just going to eat less or I'm just going to work out a little bit more. And then over time it snowballs and recovery is sort of the same thing, but in the inverse. So I innocently went on Atkins, right? I just was like, oh, I'm just going to like go on the Atkins site with my mom, you know? And I spent two years where I was restricting quote unquote successfully before it rebounded into binge eating. And the compensatory restriction after a binge got more intense. And so the binges got more intense. And then eventually I started purging. And then I was in this restrict binge purge cycle for years. And I had a moment where I had this like out of body spiritual experience where I was like, all right, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get better, to recover. And I spent three years actively working on healing from bulimia. My main focus was I want to stop binging and purging. And through those three years, something that really helped me with the binging and purging was I became a whole foods plant-based vegan. It was a very restricted diet in hindsight, but to me, it was way better than the out of control binging and purging episodes that I was experiencing prior. You know, prior to this whole foods plant-based eating thing, I was spending ridiculous amounts of money on drive-through fast food and on like cookies and donuts from the grocery store. And it was just like locking myself in my room and like literally being knee deep in brownie batter. And shifting into this whole foods plant-based vegan thing was pretty hardcore. It It was still very restrictive, but to me, it was so much better than what I was doing before. However, I had a lot of new food rules. (laughs) I judged everyone who ate meat and dairy. I thought they were stupid and unhealthy and brainwashed. I told people about it all the time. (laughs) I was all about non-GMO, organic, raw, vegan, local, whole foods. And looking back, I can see how this was a version of quote unquote pseudo recovery. Looking back, I can now see how looking at it from the outside, someone could label that orthorexia. But how I personally feel about it from the place that I'm at in my life right now is that it wasn't pseudo recovery and it wasn't orthorexia necessarily either, but rather it was one of my lily pads. It was a step in my process. So I was no longer on the disordered eating disorder side of the pond and I was on my first lily pad, right? 
it was a step in my process. I was past the start, but it wasn't the end. And that transition into whole foods, plant-based eating helped me feel really good about eating adequately and consistently and keeping food in my body and actually eating enough food for my, for my needs, to meet my needs, to nourish myself. It was also a way I was trying to control my weight. So although I was no longer hating my body and myself in the ways that I had prior, I was still really worried about weight gain. However, I look back and I see how fundamentally necessary it was for me to land on that lily pad in order to heal from my bulimia. I would not be here if I didn't pass through there. And so I'm sure, I am sure that if I was working with eating disorder professionals at that time, they would have been like, you're in pseudo recovery. You have orthorexia. And they would have told me that where I was at was wrong. And that wouldn't have been helpful for me because at the time where I was at in my recovery with that whole foods plant-based eating was exactly where I needed to be at that time in order to heal from my bulimia. Now, I stayed there for years. I don't remember exactly in this, you know, really restrictive, clean eating, whole foods, plant-based area. I stayed there for like three or four years. I don't remember exactly, but that's vaguely what I recall. And I never thought of myself as being in pseudo recovery. I never thought of that as being restrictive. I never thought of having all of those judgments around like non-whole food, around any food that wasn't a whole food plant-based. I didn't think that having all of those judgments was a problem. To me, I was light years better than where I had been before. And I still feel that way now. Now I've grown a lot. I've shifted a lot. I still don't have all those judgments around things that aren't vegan and organic and whole foods. I don't have those judgments anymore. But back then, but looking back then, I still feel like, no, that was like, That was an important part of my journey. Very important. And I don't think that at the time, it wasn't a problem. It was actually what I needed. Now, I'm not there anymore, right? And I I don't recommend staying in that quote-unquote pseudo-recovered orthorexic state. But I needed to be there for as long as I was there. And it's important for me to emphasize this because I sometimes think recovery professionals are too judgmental when someone is in this phase. It's like they want to hurry up and rush them through it or push them through it. And I think this not only can lead to big relapses, but I think it actually makes recovery take longer because when you try to push somebody into something when they're not ready, they're just going to resist you even more and they're going to want to double down and get defensive and resist your recovery even more. At least I know that that's how I would have responded. You know what I mean? Now, eventually, I became less restrictive. So I was getting ready to move on to the next lily pad. So I was, all right, I'm going to leave this whole foods plant-based lily pad because I've been here for a while and I'm feeling, I was continuing to do personal development work throughout this whole time. I was really involved in a program program called Landmark um, throughout all of these years Um, so I had this other like mental health mindset program that I was working on through all of these years. I did all types of programs with Landmark. So I got to this place where I was like, you know what? 
I, I think it's okay for me to add in some more foods. So I started eating what could be called vegan junk foods. So I started adding, adding in things like burgers and fries and cookies and ice cream. And that was the next lily pad for me. So I was still vegan, but I was not as restrictive or as quote unquote orthorexic as before. Now, I just want to say that I'm not by any means am I trying to say that being veganism automatically means that it's um, your eating disorder or it's orthorexia. I am not saying that at all. I absolutely know people who are recovered and who choose to be vegan for ethical reasons. So I just want to make that clear that that is not what I am saying at all when I'm So please don't interpret what I'm saying as that because that's not what I am saying. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, Okay, so then I started adding in the quote unquote vegan junk foods, right? So I moved on to the next lily pad. I was feeling safer to eat processed foods, which was great. That was really great for me to get over that rigidity that I had and that previous lily pad. And then eventually I added in eggs. I was literally having dreams. I'm not kidding. Like I would have dreams about eating eggs. And that was clearly my body telling me that like I needed a wider variety of foods and that it was not thriving on a plant-based diet. And so eventually I did add eggs in. So I was eating all vegan except eggs. Um, And that was the next lily pad for me, right? Like the next lily pad was like, okay, I'm not going to be this rigid vegan anymore because it wasn't working for me. Again, I'm not saying all vegans are living in restriction. Um, And I stayed there for a really long time. And then eventually I was ready to move on to the next lily pad and I added back in meat and dairy. And that was the next lily pad. And again, throughout this whole time, I'm doing personal development work. I've never stopped doing personal development work, even up to this point. I've always been engaging in some type of healing work, whether it was plant medicine, whether it was landmark, whether it was working with coaches, therapists, like I've always been trying to better myself throughout this whole time. So I know I'm sharing a lot about the food, but I don't want to leave out that I was doing other work that supported me from getting, from moving from one lily pad to the next. I don't know if I would have kept moving across the lily pads had I stopped doing this other inner work that I was doing. I can't say for certain. So it's important for me to let you know that I was doing other inner work throughout this time. And then after I added in meat and cheese and was like quote unquote eating all the things, I eventually moved on to the next lily pad where I had fast food for the first time in, I don't know, seven or eight years. I had Taco Bell and then I tried Jack in the Box, which I realized I don't like Jack in the Box at all. And I used to binge on it all the time. No offense if you like Jack in the Box. Um, And then I tried McDonald's for the first time. And that was my next lily pad. I was actually able to eat at these places and be totally fine. Whereas before, when I was in my eating disorder, I would only ever eat at those places if I was planning to binge and purge. And I stayed away from them for years because I... One, didn't want them, but two, was afraid of them. I was afraid that if I ate at those places, it would trigger me back into binging. And so I just stayed away from them until I knew I would be okay. And I was on the next lily pad. And I was able to eat at those places and it was no big deal. It was not a thing. And so looking back, every lily pad was necessary. They all make sense to me. And it was absolutely a slow fucking process that took years. 
And even though I felt recovered once I stopped binging and purging, I can now see that that wasn't the whole truth, that I still had more work to do, even though I wasn't conscious of it. And so that's a really important thing for me to kind of drive home here is that like you can be totally unconscious of the fact that like you still have food rolls or you still have remnants of your eating disorder. To me, I, I, this whole time that I was in that whole foods, plant-based vegan lifestyle and then being fully vegan and then adding back things and then finally being like okay I'm at peace with even things like fast food like if you were to ask me years ago while I was moving through those I wouldn't have told you that I still had work to do because it didn't occur to me that way I just knew I wasn't binging and purging anymore and I didn't hate my body anymore and I was like this is amazing but again hindsight's 2020 and I can look back and I can see that now at the place that I'm at now in my life now I'm recovered like I am I don't have food rules. I don't have that same body shame. And I can really look back and see how I was just still walking across the pond, even though I didn't really know it. So as you can see, there are phases. There are lily pads. It takes time and it's a process. And your process is not going to look like mine. And your lily pads are not going to be the same lily pads as mine. Every client that I've worked with Like, sure, yes, there's similarities with all of us because it's all about food and body image stuff, but they're different. And so trust your process, trust your timing. Just keep moving forward, whatever you do. Just keep moving forward, even if it's slow. So before we get into a couple of other examples from from clients and things that I've seen over the years, I quickly want to share about my new book, One Day at a Time. Daily Reflections for Overcoming Food and Body Image Struggles. It's now available for purchase on Amazon. If you had followed along with me on Instagram, you maybe heard me share about how it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. There just kept being issue after issue after issue, but it is finally done and I am very excited about it. It's designed to have one page read each day, one page a day. And it's kind of like the bookend to this chapter of my life, seeing as I started this career by publishing a book called Body Wisdom. I am ending this version. I'm ending this career by publishing a book too. And it's a combination of my most educational, inspirational, and transformational pieces of writing. They are all around one page in length. Some are shorter, some are slightly longer. But my hope is that you randomly select a page and it's exactly what you needed to hear on that day. That is my hope. So the link for the book is in the show notes or you can just search my name on Amazon. I'm really excited about it. I designed the cover myself. I wanted to design something that I would love to have on my coffee table because the cover is so pretty. I hope you find it pretty too. (laughs) Um, And I just hope you guys love it as much as I love it. I'm really excited about it. And it's like sort of like my gift before, my parting gift, so to speak. Okay, so let's get back into the show. Uh, Another example is from a client who would more classify as having disordered eating. They were never clinically diagnosed with binge eating disorder, but they absolutely struggled with the diet binge or the restrict binge cycling and these incessant attempts at weight control and weight loss. So we've been working together on and off in various forms over the last two and a half years. And she came to me after about two decades of being on and off diets since she was a toddler. Her parents put her on diets from a very young age and her parents forced her to exercise from a very young age. They never kept any of the fun foods in the house, so she started basically binging on cookies and fruit snacks when she was at her friends' houses because her parents had those foods in the house, her friends' parents. 
She was struggling with obsessive thoughts about food. She had really bad body image, binge eating, emotional eating, and just feeling out of control around food, filled with guilt and shame all of the time, and just like really struggling with internalized fat phobia and body shame. Now, the first part of her process was really about pretty traditional diet recovery. You know, pretty traditionally following the intuitive eating guidelines and principles. It was about healing from all of the ways in which she was restricting physically, mentally, and emotionally. And it was legalizing foods and working to release the positive and negative charge around foods and bring them into a state of neutrality. It involved healing from the diet mentality, you know, challenging the food police and believing that foods are good and bad, and to start the process of unconditional permission to eat, which is a really big lily pad. This is the part of the process where you allow yourself to eat all of the previously sworn off foods, all of the bad foods, and you let yourself eat them as often as you want. You know, often people will go and buy a whole bunch of them and just keep them in the house. And at first, this phase can be really chaotic for people. It can feel like all they want are the brownies and the chips and the ice cream, right? And she went through this process. She really wanted all of the quote unquote bad foods, even though she wished she didn't want them, which is also really common, right? Um, She didn't like that she kept wanting the cookies and the chips and the frappuccinos and the donuts, but she trusted the process that by giving herself unconditional permission to eat, that eventually she'd get to a place where she didn't always want them. However, she was on this lily pad for about two years. She was starting to feel like she was always going to want those foods. She doubted that she would ever get to a place where she actually wanted a side salad instead of the side of fries. She said to me that she had this belief that no one genuinely wants the side salad or the lettuce wrap burger. And if they do order the side salad or the lettuce wrap burger, that they are in fact caught up in diet culture. And she had this belief because she was still in the phase of unconditional permission. She was still in the phase of neutralizing foods, of removing that positive or negative charge attached to a lettuce wrap versus a bun burger. It's really common to assume that you'll always want ice cream forever and ever and ever and ever until the end of time. It's really common. A lot of people have this experience and they fear that if they give themselves unconditional permission to eat, that they will literally eat those foods forever and ever and ever. And that's where my client was at. She was starting to think like, wow, I might never not want the fries and the burger and the ice cream. But after about two years of wanting the fries over the salad, she was starting to accept that it might always be this way. She was like, maybe I'm just the type of person who's always going to want these things. I know I don't want to go back to dieting. And so she started to accept it and make peace with it and surrender to it. And then something bananas started to happen. She started to notice that she actually wanted the side salad over the fries or that she didn't really want the chips with her sandwich. She was starting to move on to the next lily pad. She was truly at that place where she's like, I can have the chips and the fries and the cookies whenever, but I'm starting to notice that I 
actually don't want them for the first time ever. But here's the thing. You know how I talked about how the behaviors typically overlap? She was noticing that she didn't want to get the chips, but yet she was still getting the chips, right? So there's that overlap. She was noticing that she was ready to move on to the next lily pad, but hadn't quite moved on to the next lily pad, right? She was noticing that like, I want some mini carrots or a salad or some veggies. And she started to choose those things, right? She was finally at that gentle nutrition principle in intuitive eating. She was ready to move on to the next lily pad where salad isn't positively charged and fries aren't negatively charged. They are neutral. She can have them whenever. And she knows now that, oh, there are actually people who genuinely want salad over fries. And it has nothing to do with diet culture. And she now believes that because she's actually experiencing it for herself for the first time, which is really cool. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have gotten messages from clients who are like, Kara, oh my God, like I actually wanted a Chinese chicken salad today and it was fucking great. Like I actually wanted it and I never thought I'd get to this place. It's, it's kind of bananas. It's always an exciting thing when people finally get to the place where they're like, oh, I actually want a salad after spending however long thinking they would never want, they would never genuinely want a salad that they'd always have to force themselves to eat it. And then they get to that place and it's just, it's really beautiful, right? Um, it's really, really awesome. And it's been really cool to witness not only the client I'm specifically talking about, you know, and be by her side through this, but all of the people who I've gotten to witness. Now, I want to talk about another phase, another version of a phase, another lily pad that I've seen a lot. And that is where people eat the fun foods, the cookies, the chips, the fries, whatever, almost purely out of rebellion or because they can like they don't really want the burger and fries but they are like well I should get it because if I don't I am dieting or restricting and fuck diet culture I'm not a brainwashed bitch like that person over there getting a salad it's that type of energy it's like I'm only eating it because I know I can it's not even that I really want it it's just like a a middle finger up at diet culture it's that type of energy it's like they get, to, they get the dessert even though they're full because getting it is a way to say fuck you to diet culture and to patriarchy and so on. Or they get, to the, they get the dessert even if they are full because they restricted themselves for so many years and they're just not doing that anymore. I've witnessed this phase in countless clients over the last seven years that I've been a coach. And not everyone fully realizes that they're eating out of rebellion. Like it's not even like their body wants it or they want it, but they're just like, doing it for the sake of doing it to say fuck you to diet culture and they don't fully realize they realize they're doing it until eventually they realize it and then they're like oh I don't even really want this I'm just eating in reaction to how much I hate diet culture and so diet culture is still driving the show then if I'm eating in reaction to it and rebellion to it as opposed to what my body actually wants And for a lot of people, this like eating for the sake of rebellion is a necessary lily pad. They need to rebel a little bit and kind of like get it out of their system. It's kind of like how, you know, in your 20s, you might date a ton of people and sleep around with a whole bunch of people. And then you like don't want to do that anymore and you just want to settle down. But it's like you kind of needed to go through that phase and quote unquote get it out of your system. It's it's kind of like that. 
So that's also something that I see very common. I see that very often with clients who have a similar recovery to um, the client that I was sharing with you about who was doing more traditional diet recovery. Now, there's also an aspect to recovery that I haven't gotten into in much depth in this episode. I've touched on it, but it's that it's hard and it's scary, but it's also very worth it. And I want to share with you a couple of analogies that I have repeated to clients so many times over the years, and I want to share them with you here because I hope they'll, they'll be helpful for you. So the first analogy is about the recovery process itself and how it sometimes gets worse before it gets better. The analogy is originally from Kyle Cease, and he says that healing is like cleaning a fish tank. To clean a fish tank, you have to drain out the water, and then you want to take a hose and use the water pressure from the hose to loosen up all of the gunk that is stuck at the bottom underneath the rocks and the fake plants and stuck to the bottom of the tank. And as you're using the water pressure to loosen up the gunk, you're also filling back up the tank, and the water actually looks dirtier than when you first poured it out. But this is the process of cleaning a fish tank. It gets dirtier before it gets cleaner. And recovery is the same way. With recovery, you have to loosen up all of the gunk that is buried beneath your disordered behaviors and bring it up to the surface. And it might even be harder and messier than before you even entered into the recovery process. It's new, it's scary, it's uncomfortable, and you have to face all of the shit that you've been avoiding for years. But you have to go through it. This is a part of the process. So just know if you feel like it's worse or harder in recovery than it was before you started it, just know that that's probably exactly right. And it's probably exactly where you need to be. Also, there's some guys on the roof of my apartment. I don't know if you can hear them walking around. But if you're hearing weird background noise, there's dudes on the roof. I don't know what they're doing. Anyways, okay. Another analogy that I like to share with clients is about how sometimes when you're in the recovery process, you sometimes feel like you're not getting better or the progress is so slow, you're not sure it's happening. This is an analogy that I first heard from Brandilyn Tebow, and it's uh, the analogy of a frog in boiling water. So if you put a frog in lukewarm water and then you slowly, one degree at a time, increase the temperature of the water until it is boiling, the heating is so slow and incremental that the frog cannot sense the change and it will actually boil to death. Morbid but good analogy for this. Um, This is what the recovery process can be like. When you are in the process, it can be really slow and it can be hard and it can be bumpy. Sometimes you feel like you're not making progress at all. And that's because the change can be so incremental that you can't always sense the change, but you have to trust and have faith that the water is getting hotter and that the water is on its way to boiling and that you are getting better even if you can't always sense it. You have to trust the process. You have to keep going. You have to know the water is getting hotter and you are getting better one degree at a time. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up because we have been chatting for a really long time, almost 50 minutes, but that's what you can expect from recovery. It's hard. It typically gets harder before it gets better and easier. It can be slow. Sometimes you don't think you're getting better. It's a process with many phases, with many lily pads, Everyone's lily pads look different. The amount of time you need to stay on one lily pad will be unique to you. You cannot skip lily pads without falling in the water. If you rush a lily pad, you might slip and fall as well. And recovery happens one lily pad at a time. And it also happens one day at a time. And yes, that is a shameless plug for my new book. Go check it out. Go buy it. I hope you love it. 
All right, friends, I hope you got a lot out of this episode. Please DM me with any questions on Instagram about recovery, about the process, about my retiring. Um, If you loved this episode, please share it in your Instagram stories and tag me. That would absolutely make my motherfucking day. Um, And I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being loyal listeners of the Love Your Bod Pod through all of the ups and downs and through my inconsistencies with posting. And I just hope that you have a really beautiful day and I will see you guys next week with another episode. Bye.